Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2018, episode 186, Understanding Financial Regulations for Crowdfunding. Presented by Bradley Hostman. Alright, um, welcome to this uh, Vinny put it to me the other day when, uh, actually a couple weeks ago when he contacted me and said, so, are you able to come back? Because we have a wonderful amount of things about games, but nothing about business. Um, so I said, sure, I can get back here. Um, a little bit of my background, so I'm a CPA. Um, I work at one of the, the tenth largest firm in the country, Cone Resnick. Um, we're obviously a fairly large firm, and they have a lot of different stuff that I do. I mostly do what's called corporate auditing. Um, so I go out to companies and review how they did their books and see whether it was right or wrong. Um, it's generally basically what I do. Um, do have some tax, but I don't do as much with that. Um, no one likes taxes. But, um, so I'm a senior manager there. <clears throat> I've been a gamer my entire life, so obviously I've been around in the industry my entire life. I've spent a lot of time in it, um, aware of different things and aware of, of uh, what we do from a business standpoint, um, personally. Um, the firm generally doesn't deal with too many smaller companies because we're a giant firm. Um, we do do some, and I'm trying to work with that a little bit to do a little bit more. Um, but they do do a lot within not just the gaming industry, but entertainment overall. Uh, we do a tremendous amount of business. We have a lot of celebrities from Joe Torrey to the Dallas Cowboys to um, people on Broadway I'm not allowed to mention that uh, we do a lot of work for as a firm. Um, there's some crap up here that they gave me to give away. Feel free to take it. So take some stuff. You saw me play with the flashlights before. I'm like, what is that? that great. Um, they just gave me a box and said, here, take this. So, positive and negatives of working for a giant monster. They have shit like this lying around. Here, go give this out. Um, so, this really is about looking at the business side of, of the gaming industry. And one of the things I think people don't always think about is the consequences of regulations and tax laws when they're doing it. Um, people are, by their nature, in my opinion, in the industry, provincial. Um, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that in that, well, I know in New Jersey I could do X. Well, that's nice. When you're selling a game all over the country, you have to know the rules that are all over the country. You can't just be aware of New Jersey's rules or New York's rules or Connecticut's rules. If your game is being sold in California, you may owe money to the state of California. And you need to be aware of that. And not only do you may owe the money, you may need to register with them, you may need to send forms into them, and that if you're selling to them and you're not sending those forms in, you could be subject to some fairly heavy fines and penalties. Um, this is where the disconnect comes in uh, when looking at it, because people don't think on, on a scale or nationally, let alone international as a whole of the discussion. Uh, that looking at it. So one of the things obviously we talk about is crowdfunding. So, um, Get into stuff a little bit about the entities, which is some of the stuff I did with tax last year, and I'll do 
a lot more on tax tomorrow. Um, funding sources. When we say crowdfunding, there's actually multiple types of crowdfunding, reward, equity, debt, and then just donation. And then I'll talk a little bit about, although I'll get into it more in the morning, uh, sales tax, because uh, that's extremely important, especially with the Wayfair decision. Um, does everybody here know what the Wayfair decision is? No. No. No, never heard of it. Okay. So we'll get into that in a little bit. The Supreme Court decided in South Dakota versus Wayfair in June of this year that states can force online retailers to charge, collect, and remit sales tax for sales made to people in that state, even if the company is not. So what you're going to see starting soon when you're on Amazon, when you're on <coughs> even eBay, some of these other things where you're buying something from Indiana where you never had to worry about sales tax and whatever, there were laws that said you actually owed something, but you just kind of, whatever, they weren't required. Well now, you go, they're going to be required to charge, remit, collect, and remit to that state sales tax for you on those items. So basically the state of South Dakota made a law that said that we're going to charge people selling over the internet to people in South Dakota this and make them get sales tax. And <coughs> excuse me, that was challenged, the law was challenged by somebody who you know, South Dakota had sued and went all the way to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court said yes, they absolutely can force retailers who sell within their state to follow that state's laws, including collecting and remitting sales tax over the internet. So a lot of people have said and believe that this might be one of the first shifts that help brick and mortar stores. Because everybody has looked at, you get kind of a discount, right? Not paying sales tax, but you're paying online. Well, that goes away now uh, with the Wayfair decision that happened, that came down in June of this year. So now we now have to know what everyone's sales tax is tax everyone on whatever their state is. That's going to be a pain in the ass. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because everyone's tax is different. Yep. That's that's where it comes in. Now, and we'll get into a little bit, there are, there are thresholds. So if you're selling $300 to the state of South Dakota, you're not going to have to worry about it. It's not going to make a difference. Most states are thresholds somewhere in the $10,000 range. Um, when you hit $10,000 of sales in that state, that's when they will start requiring it of you. Um, most, not all. Some of them are, there's one I think that's lower, but generally somewhere in that 10,000 range is where you start having to worry about it. Now, is this all states you have to collect the sales tax or only certain states enforce that? We'll, we'll go through that and I'll show you that. I have a whole chart of what's exempt and what states are not uh, at the current moment. But again, the chart is two months old and that's gonna change on a daily basis at this point. You're gonna have to, you know, one of the things that we, you know, and. Um, at the end, I'll put up here, um, and I recommend it for everybody, our firm has a free webinar specifically on sales tax this Wednesday the 6th at 1 o'clock, and everybody can log into and listen, um, which gets into more detail than I will here. Um, with people who are in our national office, that this is all they do is sales tax, um, with their entire lives, so they're much more deeply into it than I ever will be. Now, when you talk about a threshold, Let's say I hit the threshold now for all the money that all the people that already bought my product. Now, do I have the, to? The regulations are a little murky with that. So generally, what will happen is um, there's what they call kind of a safe harbor. So if you've traditionally had two to three thousand sales into that state, suddenly you have eleven. They usually give you a safe harbor the first year you suddenly cross the threshold. Okay. Um, 
versus if you were really closer to the past and you knew you were probably going to get it, they'd say, well, you probably should have registered at the end of last year and started paying now, so you might have a little bit more of an issue. Okay. Um, so it depends. You know, you have to be aware of what it is and aware how close you are to it. And like I said, if you're, you know, I'm selling three thousand dollars to South Dakota every year, I don't really give a crap. You suddenly have a spike. Whatever it is, there is a safe harbor provision that kind of says, okay, well, over ten thousand, you know, let's register now. Let's start collecting and remitting now. Uh, that allows you to do go through that. Okay. Uh, most states have that. If they're really desperate for money, you never know. Um, not the states would ever do something like that to you. <coughs> Except New York. Um, I live in New York, so. Um, wow, this is really terrible to see. So, entity chart. So, again, when you're doing your, your entity now, um, everyone is in the difference between a sole proprietorship versus a partnership. You guys know what that is? One versus two. One versus multiple people. Right. So, the. The difference from a regulation perspective, a sole proprietorship is what's called a Schedule C business. It's just your personal tax return. A partnership, you have a separate form you have to follow the government. Um, you also have to register a partnership with the state that you're in. Uh, so you have to make sure that that's registered. Um, LLCs, <coughs> the first couple, the advantage, the first two, um, you generally, you know, when you're looking at it, it's a partnership, a sole proprietorship, it's unlimited liability. What does that mean? Somebody decides that your game is discriminatory. We just had a panel here about, you know, the, the LGBTQ community. Um, if somebody in there feels that your game is discriminating against somebody in there and sues you, if you're a sole proprietorship or a partnership, they can go after your personal assets. They can take your house for your discriminating game, in their opinion even if that wasn't your intent. That's why I tell people, don't do it. It's just not worth it. It's just not. Yeah, I don't want to spend a couple hundred dollars to register, blah, blah, blah. No, don't. It's not worth it. It's not worth your livelihood. It's not worth your family. Don't play the game. Um, LLCs can be a little expensive because you have to put publish in a newspaper. It's a pain in the ass. The LLCs versus S-Corps a little bit cheaper um, for as far as registration goes. So the actual registration LLC is like $200 with the state, um, but then you have to spend like $500 because you have to, there's newspapers that you have to publish the name in in case people want to challenge the name. Um, this, that came about because of people, you know, wanting to register, you know, Don Johnson LLC because, you know, back in the day with people who watched Miami Vice, which is probably only me, um, and things like that. Is that's not all digital online now? Hmm? That's not all online now? No. No, you actually, the state of New York specifically, I can tell you, still has to be a physical print newspaper. And they have a list of acceptable print newspapers in the state of New York. If you can go to the website. Welcome, welcome to the negative age. Where state governments are still in the 19th century. They haven't hit the 20th yet. Forget about the 21st. Don't even think about it. They're still in the 19th century for the most part. Um, I know, I deal with the tax authorities all the time. <laughs> and some of the regulators. Does those, and then the C Corp obviously is a new one. So the other thing that I added, especially for this year, the tax reform effect. So this new deduction, what that means is that if your gaming company, again, this only matters if you're making money. If you're not making money, it's irrelevant. People got to be aware of that. How many gaming companies really make a significant amount of money? Not a lot, right? Let's be honest for a minute. 
much as I love the games, let's be realistic as to what, what we can and can't do at the end of the day. So you get a deduction, a 20% deduction of your income that passes through. That's part of the tax reform law, is to help small businesses with that 20% deduction. So long as you're producing something, you're not just doing a service. So we joke that they screw the accountants, right? Because accountants is a service, so partners in my firm do not get the 20% pass through the deduction. Because we're a service, we're not, a, we're not producing. Um, C-Corps, realistically, you don't need them. Uh, I think generally, it's a pain in the ass to take the money out. Um, Right side, you're completely covered from a liability standpoint. They can never go after you, so that's great. Um, you do pay lower in taxes now to the C Corp under the new under the new tax reform, which is nice. Um, honestly, the only reason you do a C Corp is if you think your company is going to grow significantly. It's the only reason you would do a C Corp, uh, and we'll get into that a little bit more tomorrow. There's something called the small business stock deduction that. If you're one of those tech companies that hits, right? Everybody loves to hear about the sort of the, the Facebook stories, the Twitter stories, and the you know, or Shake Shack on the restaurant side, right? The hundreds of millions of dollars those guys made on that crap. Um, the, the small business stock deduction says that up to ten million dollars or ten times your initial investment is tax-free. So if you're a gaming company, something booms, and you sell it to somebody for ten million dollars, and you had it set up as a C corp. When they hand you that $10 million check, it's tax-free. So, again, our industry, we really going to deal with that much? Yeah. That's one out of every 4,000 gaming companies, maybe. But if you're confident you hit the Powerball. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, we can all hope for it, right, at the end of the day. All right, funding sources, the traditional ones, private equity, venture capitalists, you guys don't really deal with it too much. If you're into video games or anything with VR, by the way, don't discount that. Those people have a shitload of money and they will hand it out. If you know how to program, if you know how to build an app, if you have some kind of technology component to what you're doing with your game, I can tell you that there are angel investors that will hand you money. Because they will try to see if you're the next big game, if you're the next Pokemon Go, etc. it is. They will give you money and they have a shitload of it. Um, just the reality of it. So don't discount it. If you have a technology component to your game, keep aware that it's out there. Um, there's a lot of stuff about getting loans out there. I, I really recommend generally against it. Um, yeah, it's nice, it's traditional lending. Banks have incentive to give out money right now because they've been so much into hoarding since the issues of 2008 and not giving out loans that now it's flipped the other side and they're out of compliance by not giving enough money out for loans. So banks are trying to give loans out right now. But you have to be careful because a lot of them are doing it at usury interest rates. It's just not worth it. Paying 14% for you know, a $5,000 loan, you're suddenly paying back $10,000 over five years for starting your game. And was that really worth it at the end of the day? You know, think about that a little bit. Um, and under the new tax reform, your interest expense is not as deductible as it used to be. Minor little. And obviously the one we mostly deal with, which is why the title of this is crowdfunding, right? That's how generally most of our games at this point get, out, get off the ground. Reward-based, Kickstarter. So that means that when you're doing your crowdfunding, right, Kickstarter, what is that about? It's that you're getting the product at the end of the day. 
right? They get enough people in, enough people buy the game, and Kickstarter goes and helps you produce the game, and then you ship it out, right? That's called rewards-based. You're getting a product or service in exchange for your money that you're putting in. So you're not getting any kind of equity. You're not expecting to get your money back unless the game doesn't produce. You're essentially buying a product, but you're doing it up front. That's what we call rewards-based. Equity-based, you're buying a piece of the company. Pretty straightforward, right? So people can do crowdfunding of where, hey, everybody give a dollar and everybody have one share of my company. That's called equity-based. Debt, there is some crowdfunding of potentially returning money. You know, everybody try to put in 10, 20 bucks, we're able to produce the game, great, I'll pay everybody back. Um, that does actually exist. Pretty rarely used, but it does exist. Uh, my job is to tell you what everything is that's out there and then recommend and you know, stick to Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> or donation. Um, that's one of the more interesting ones that I found, and it, in the art community, depending on what it is, it's not unusual. You know, there's nothing wrong with, in addition to Kickstarter, having a donation aspect of it, yeah. Is that GoFundMe, is that a donation yeah. thing? That's yeah. not like Kickstarter. That's not Kickstarter. Because GoFundMe, you're not getting anything in return. You're not expecting anything in return. You're just gathering money, people saying, hey, give me money, basically. Now, the negative of it, if you're going through a donation-based thing and you're a company that's a gaming company that's trying to get off the ground, you don't get the charitable deduction on your tax return. But that, that's the one negative side of it. because you're not. Neither does anybody who gives you money. Right. But this is people essentially gifting you money is really what, what it is. Well, anything else? You got a question? Uh, I just saw it up there. It's the $1 crowdfunding tier. <laughs> <laughs> Rewards-based, like we said, this is the big thing. So, easiest from a regulation standpoint, there's not a whole lot of regulation about it because essentially people look at it as you're selling products just in advance. You know, it's almost like a consignment sale is essentially how the law looks at it from a regulation standpoint. Does everybody know what a consignment sale is? You, oh, I know this too. <laughs> you give something to someone ahead of time and then when they sell it, you get you get the profit, right. So it's pretty common in the apparel industry where they'll put a whole bunch of dresses in somebody's store, um, but they own them, so to speak. But when they sell them to a third-party customer, then the sale goes through the rest of the way. <coughs> Generally for product service, registration with the states or with federal government is generally not required. So again, if you have a sole proprietorship or partnership, you're really not to fill out anything. I don't recommend that again. Go get yourself a nice LLC or an S-Corp to protect yourself. But you don't have to register the company in any particular way, other than for tax. And then we kind of talked a little bit about the sales and use tax rules. Um, big thing with this that people miss, all proceeds are taxable. So just be careful about that, because Kickstarter is going to tell the IRS through a 1099 form exactly how much money your company took in. Now, you're also going to get from them how much we got paid out, right? So, but you're going to have to fill that out on a form. So, whatever your company may be, whether it's an LLC, whether it's a sole proprietorship, you're going to have to fill out on a tax form. I, I said my run was going to be $30 a game, and if I got 100 people in uh, for $30,000 um, at my, my or $30 price point, right, or $3,000, whatever the number comes out to be, I could produce my game, right? 
So I'm going to produce my game. I got the thirty thousand dollars in. Hundred people bought my game at thirty dollars. My cost for it was twenty thousand dollars between the Kickstarter fees and the actual production fees, etc. And they handed me a check, let's say, for eight thousand dollars. The end of the day, I was thrilled and excited. I could I could build version two of my game now, right? Well, guess what? You can't just say to the government, "Well, I got eight thousand bucks. Thanks." No, you have to show to them. I got this thirty thousand. I have this expense. This is what the cost to produce. This was my commission expense. This was my other expenses that went along with it. You have to put all of that into the forms when you're doing it, because all the proceeds are taxable. Yeah. Okay. So from that initial thirty, do you? Uh, I haven't succeeded on a Kickstarter so yet. So, um, do you actually get the full amount, and then Kickstarter takes the percentage? The no, percentage? Kickstarter will only give you the net at the end of the day. What? Kickstarter gives you the net at the end of the day. Okay, so are you taxed on that or the total that was total. pledged? Okay, so they are an expense. You're yeah, their expense and their their pieces of it. Like I said, and what you have to do is get the reports from them, which says this is how much money we took in, this is Kickstarter's commission, this is how much we paid our producer in China, you know, whatever else. It, you know, I think there's one or two other items on there. You have to take all of that information and put it onto your tax form at the end okay. of the year. You can't just put, I got my, you know, $3,000 check from Kickstarter for, for the 100 games. So we should get a good accountant, that's what you're saying? Yes. yes. I, I have a suggestion to make, if you're going to be doing this yourself, it's worth, the, it's a couple hundred dollar investment, it's totally worth it. Get QuickBooks. It is very user friendly, but as you spend money, like, what comes up is a check when you go to write, enter the check. After you write the check, underneath, you, what they call a chart of accounts, you split it up into categories. So as you're doing your expenses, you're saying this is publishing, this is a tax, this is this, this is that. Not only at the end of the year can you just print a report and have your numbers and make it easier to fill out your form, well, they have online services that will fill the forms out for you, but it's great for you to be able to track yourself and see month to month how much different categories are, are costing you or if they're, say, my, this is how much I got for my insurance, my liability insurance, how much did I pay last year? You can see a history. Yeah, um, on a smaller scale, you can use Quicken, um, which is just basically in and out of checks, which is fine. Um, obviously, QuickBooks is the, the general standard um, for, for using something that's basic um, with using software at this point. There's a few others that are out there, but Peachtree. Peachtree. Well, Peachtree is owned by uh, somebody else now. I can't remember who they are now. Uh, their name changed. Um, probably write, write, write off those programs as an expense for your business. Absolutely. absolutely. Yes. And that's the other thing that when you bring those proceeds in, you're not just, and we'll get into it a little bit more tomorrow, you're not just putting that, all the other expenses. You know, if you have a game design company that succeeded, everything that you're doing this weekend is an expense. Keep that in mind. Everything you're doing this weekend is an expense. The other thing is that if you are tracking your money as you go, you're much less likely to spend it foolishly or say, wait a minute, I had a thousand bucks in petty cash, where did it go? <laughs> um, how far back can startup expenses go? Usually only a year. Okay. Usually only a year. If it takes you longer than that, they don't. They'd say that's nice, but you know, we wish you the best. If you have all expenses and no income, do you still pay taxes? You don't actually pay, you still have to fill the forms, you don't pay anything. Do they give you money back? No. <laughs> There's a couple of credits out there, and we'll get into, I'll mention one of them, but really, generally, the answer is no. Uh, oh, I just want to mention the, the limit, right, I mentioned the, the limit on startup expenses. 
Now, you're, if you're doing a crowdfunding with the Kickstarter, it's not that you're not limited to 5,000 in expenses, that's not it. That's if there's certain kinds of other setup expenses, other things like that, that you went into. Um, design time, if you paid an artist or something like that to design part of your game or something like that, that might fall under here, uh, under that limitation. Equity-based crowdfunding. So this is where you sell a piece of the company, and I'm sure some of you have seen some of those. This is very, very dangerous. I'm telling you about it, but I'm also telling you don't do it, in my opinion. This is the Shark Tank stuff. Yeah. Okay. Why don't you do it? Even if you're raising $1 for equity, you under a crowdfunding system, you must register with the Securities and Exchange Commission. There is no limit, there's no pressure. You must, period. Now, unless you're raising $107,000, very unusual, not a whole lot they want, but you still have to register with the SEC. Um, and there are regulations, you have to give them your, your tax return every year, you have to produce a balance sheet financial that you can give them every year. Doesn't have to be reviewed by an accountant. I recommend that it is, just in case they get a look at it. But, so you have a lot of rules as far as that goes. Um, and you also have, for crowdfunding, as opposed to a true equity raise, you have a limit of, what should we call it, 10% of less of your net worth or your salary, over $107,000. So, if you own a house and you have $200,000, you know, let's say equity in the house, so you still have a limitation. So you would save uh, 200,000. Over the 107 is only 93,000, 10% of that. So you can only put 9,300 more than that 107 before you hit the threshold. What happens when you hit the threshold? How did you hit the threshold? Now it's considered a, what's called Reg A+, which is an actual registration with the SEC. And now you have to have an audited financial statement, quarterly reviews, and everything else that goes with it. And I will tell you that if you are really lucky, that will cost you $90,000 a year. Wow. For a company that, <clears throat> for a, what they call a shell. So what a shell, what's a shell company? A shell company means that it only exists on paper. Um, it's a company that maybe went bankrupt years ago, whatever, but it was, it's registered, quote unquote, the SEC, just to do the physical audit of something that has nothing but about 20 grand in expenses for an attorney they charge you fifty to $60,000 a year for the accounting fees of doing the 10K, the 10Qs, and filing with the SEC on an annual basis. So that's why I say just don't. It ain't worth it. It's just not worth it. It's extremely costly to do an equity-based crowdfunding um, where people get a piece of your company. It's not worth it. Unless you're raising 20 grand, and again, you're still gonna be spending probably three or four thousand dollars because you're going to need an accountant to at least look at the balance sheet and income statement and the tax return because you know it's not just sending it to the IRS you're sending it to the SEC and I can guarantee you the SEC accountants are a lot better than the IRS orders and they know what they're looking at they're a lot better thank God I hate the IRS people okay so and as we mentioned other so equity crowdfunding laws what does this mean so this means so in the states that are in purple, there's an exemption that you do not have to register crowdfunding with the state in addition to the federal government. <coughs> in green, um, what's called agency rules, so it's not actually a law, it's like, uh, you know, they, they always call that the, uh, 
to suggestion. <laughs> no, uh, administrative law. Wow, there's no word. Right? Uh, administrative law. So through administrative law, those states you generally don't have to register. The ones that are in gray, like New York oh. and Connecticut, you have to register your equity crowdfunding with the state. Again, even if you're raising a dollar. Not New Jersey, though. What? Not New Jersey, though. Not New Jersey. Only New York. So far. <laughs> Until they figure out how to monetize it, then New Jersey will change that law in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. um, and every other state. <laughs> right. Hey, we can get money out of this? Oh, let's change it tomorrow. Debt-based registration is generally not required. Again, beware of predatory lenders uh, when you're doing debt-based stuff. Um, if you're doing a debt-based, usually whoever's running the debt-based, but they're collecting the money for you and then remitting it to you, um, they may have some information requirements that you have to do as far as taxes, balance sheet, P&L, et cetera, probably on a quarterly basis. And then sometime we'll have what's called covenants, which is a certain amount of financial requirements or things that you're expected to meet uh, when you're doing something with the debt. That's why people generally try to do equity raises versus debt. Why? Because equity, I can just keep raising money and you just own a piece of it. And if I screw it up, oh well, we'll lose our money. With the debt, it actually forces you along the way for certain to hit milestones. And with a startup, it's very, very hard to do that because you can miss milestones very, very easily, uh, which is why people generally don't do debt. Donation's great if you can do it. This is my favorite. Um, this is better than Kickstarter. You can get people to just hand you money, free. Um, no problem whatsoever. You don't need to take pictures, by the way. Just take my card, I'll send it to you. Um, this is the best of all, because this, you don't have to worry about shit. Um, at the end of the day, pardon my French. Uh, very little regulation, other than 15,000 per donor. Uh, that's what's called gift tax regulation. So if somebody can't give you more than $15,000 per person per year, that's the same with giving to an entity. Um, the donor's responsible to send a gift tax, so if they gave more than 15000 to other organizations, it's not your problem, it's their problem. Uh, to pay gift tax, you don't have to deal with it. Um, Connecticut has a weird gift tax, though, um, as far as locally is concerned. So it's something to be aware of on both places. Again, Listen, if you can get people to just hand you money, this works best. Um, obviously, from a business perspective, that's pretty hard to do. People usually want something in return for their money. Um, do you have a question? Yeah. Um, is P Patreon, which is like donation, but people do rewards? Is that like a weird gray space right now? or what would... um, it's, It depends on what it is. And what you'll have to do is you have to value what the rewards are they're getting. Okay. So you have to be able to buy for and say, okay, Somebody's giving me $40, $40, my game is cost 30, or my game is worth, sales price $30, they're so giving me a $10 donation, and a $30 reward base. So you have to be able to buy for cake that when you're putting in your information. That's gotta be a nightmare to do monthly. Yes. I know only one company that does it. Yeah. I mean, you can do it, and, and again, it's, get an accountant, they can help you with, with doing the bifurcation and doing the documentation of, why it is you bifurcated it. What's the negative? It costs money to do that. Accountants are not free. Um, we're very expensive, I don't know why. Not as bad as lawyers. <laughs> State loan tax. We started to talk about this a little bit easier, a little bit earlier. Nexus um, is the term that you hear a lot uh, with state and local tax. So you have property, employees, labor, contract labor, or any kind of sales representative that's officially working for your company. 
These are things that what's called physical nexus. So whatever state that you are in, so wherever you live with your startup, that's good, you're going to have nexus in that state. So if you're the one who's doing it, you're doing the design, you're doing all the work on it, expect you have nexus in that state. Even if you register, let's say, as a Delaware C-Corp, if you live here in New Jersey, you will have to pay New Jersey tax. You will have a nexus in the state of New Jersey because that's where you physically are. That's where the work is being performed. Let me say it in that manner. You could have an angel investor that gave you, you know, a couple grand who lives in California, nothing to do with the company. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean you have nexus. Unless they're officially representing the company, if they're going to conventions in California and trying to sell your game, well, maybe now you do have nexus there. And you may have to file in the state of California when you're looking at it. So, physical nexus again is what you're, where basically where you're doing your activities. So whether it's you're doing your design, where you're doing your selling, um, if you have any kind of contract employees, and again, it's a matter of significance. So now if you hire a designer, let's say, to do, to do the art for your cards for your game, and they live in South Dakota. You may have actually nexus and need to file in South Dakota. That's called contract labor. So you may actually still have to file in the state of South Dakota and say, okay, I have an X amount of my total contract labor is here in South Dakota. And I may need to, you may need to actually file in that state. Again, these are where those things of where understanding what you're doing when you're getting into business and why I recommend even at a mom and pop shop, speak to an accountant. Don't just assume it. Um, or when you go and you hire somebody in another state to do anything for you, go look up what that state's regulations are. So Nexus basically means a jurisdiction where you have fiscal responsibilities. Yes. And regulatory responsibilities. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. Where you have physical presence is generally what Nexus was designed as initially. Yeah. Um, what happens if you hire someone in another country to do our work for you? Uh, you have to look at that country's laws as to whether or not they have. Oh. You have to file in that country. Well, what about um, if you don't even know? I mean, with online, you can hire an online artist, send files back and forth, pay them digitally, and you have no idea where they are. Yep, and you have to be aware that that could be a problem for you in the future. So you it depends on where it is, because a lot of states have what's called a VAT tax. That's called a value-added tax, where... So, um, Singapore has it, for example. So, if you do business in Singapore, um, when you're paying the person in Singapore, they're actually supposed to remit the tax for the VAT person in Singapore. But they, if they have to pay you back, let's say, for some piece of it, they're supposed to withhold that tax. And you actually report that as foreign tax paid on your forms here, um, as tax paid to the, to the country of Singapore. Um, so there are potentially regulations when you're hiring somebody, like you said, on the internet. You don't know where it is. Most of them try to house their servers in places like the Philippines where there's no regulation. They don't have to worry about it. Uh, that's one of the reasons why the Philippines is popular for that kind of thing. But you still have to be aware of it. Um, ignorance, you know, is not an excuse. So you have to be aware of it. You're supposed to be asking the question and make sure that you're aware of what you're doing. And if they uh, refuse to answer, you just document that for your own protection. Yep. Or tell them, well, I'm not going to pay you until you tell me. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and there's a reasonable and a statute to it. And if, you know, you're paying them a thousand bucks, the government's probably not going to care. 
I'll tell you that on an overall, but they're really not going to give a shit because it's just not enough money to make it much of a difference to it. Um, but if, let's say, you decide you're going to run your servers out of somebody who offers you a thing and you're doing a server farm somewhere out there, um, and your game servers are going to be in the Philippines, for example, now you really have to be careful about it. Now you should be much more aware of it. I mean, or even like he said, you hire an artist. You have no idea where they are. No, you don't. Um, you know, I would ask them if they make sure that they're not in the United States, or at least to have them confirm to you that they're not in the United States, um, at the very least. I mean, most people, I don't think, would have a problem just telling you what state they're in. That's all you really need to know, right? Yeah. You yeah. don't need a physical address for them to report it. And again, you just have to make the determination then, okay, I paid them $1,000. Do I really have nexus in that state? Right? I have a physical presence, but then again, it comes back to the whole threshold thing. Right? Now you have to look at it. It's not a matter of that you automatically have to file the forms. It's that you have to be aware of it and look at it and determine whether or not it's hitting that state's thresholds such that you do have to report it. Um, on the bright side, if your company's not making money, nobody cares. You don't attack it anyway. There you go. <clears throat> so, the new thing, which actually started before the Wayfair decision, is called, called click-through nexus. This is where everybody gets tripped up. So, states have tried to start regulating, and they've done this for a while now, Wayfair said that they can actually do this, is saying that, okay, if you were in the old days of brick and mortar, in the 50s or the 60s, right? If you were selling, even if you were Sears and you had a catalog business in the 70s and the 80s, right? You had a sales guy, right? You walked around with the little books and things like that, and, and you had your local sales guy. So you already had a physical nexus because you had a sales guy. The states have said, well, if your website is coming into my state over the internet, well then, you're creating nexus here in my state. And you need to get money for me. So, as a general rule for state and local forms, this has not been held up. So, to actually have to pay like California's $800 a year for doing business in the state of California, for no other reason other than you want to do business in California, um, $800 a year. Um, this doesn't count. You don't have to deal with this. Because, again, for that purpose, you're not, you don't have physical presence at that point. They're saying that the government so far has said that that's not click-through or a website is not physical presence. The flip side is, if it's for sales and use tax, yes it is. Now, you have to do not just remit and collect, but fill out the forms. And it has to be done quarterly, in most cases. No, Jesus. Yeah. Aren't they, if you're shopping on the internet, aren't you more like, isn't it more likely that you as a customer are crossing your state line and going out and shopping in another, another area and you owe the tax and not the... Reason? So, technically that's always been the case, yeah. right? Because it's what's called use tax laws. Right? But if I'm running my senior state, you're actually going to my server to buy. It doesn't matter. Right. The customer is in the state. Right. And what they're saying is, from the nexus standpoint of actual state income tax, you're right. Yeah. 
From a sales tax perspective, however, with that sale, if you're selling in their state, you have to follow the same regulations as if you had a Texas in that state okay. for sales tax. So technically, it's always been the case. People didn't know this, but technically, that's why New York State, I don't, I don't think New Jersey has it also, has a thing of voluntary disclosure of additional sales and use tax. That's basically the internet box that they put on the form saying, how much did you buy in the internet this year that you owe us money for? Oh, New Jersey has that. Hmm? Yeah. New Jersey has Yeah, that's what I said. It's box, right? The internet box. Mm -hmm. we, we jokingly call it, right? <coughs> so that's always been there because technically if you're using the item, most sales tax is for sales and use. So you still have to pay, right? Just like if you register, you bought a car in Pennsylvania and brought it in here to New Jersey, you have to go down and, and register. When you register, you have to pay sales tax on the car to the state of New Jersey. Um, because you're using it in New Jersey. So that's how that's what those, those rules are designed. Since nobody actually ever pays or fills out that box with any amount in it, almost So are you ever. saying internet box or idiot box? Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, does anybody ever check it off? Yes. Really? Yes, there are some people that put an amount in there. I'll Generally for larger items. So if somebody, like I've seen it, you know, it's not where, oh wow, I spent, you know, I bought a couple of books at Amazon. It's, I spent $4,000 on furniture from North Carolina and brought it here. I should probably report that because they might actually give a shit if I don't. Um, something like that. And then like you that. pay so much more if you get caught. Yeah. Okay. Just wondering why people do it. Sometimes it's easier to pay because the interest and penalties it won't kill you at the end of the day. It's just not worth it. The interest and penalties better to just pay the money and walk away. Um, so they're now saying that essentially you have a virtual nexus is really what it is or click-through nexus that they call it for purposes of sales tax so as you're selling in those other states now you have to be aware like I said you have to look at the threshold New York, New Jersey I believe it's still $10,000 I don't think they've changed that number yet um, is the threshold so if you have sales of less than $10,000 to New York you're not required to fill out the forms um but you still are technically supposed to be collecting or emitting sales tax now. So you'll start to see, um, as the states begin to regulate it, I don't know that New York has put it together yet. New York is one of those states that goes on hold as soon as there's a gubernatorial election and where everybody waits till January. Um, but by February, I'm sure New York will get that regulation. Uh, I'm not sure what New Jersey is along the way, but Thankfully, the government takes a few months to figure it out because the decision just came out in June of this year, so it takes a few months till the, the laws get um, put together uh, for it, but that, it's coming. And you're suddenly going to be on Amazon, there's going to be a sales tax. Okay, so now, bringing this back around to crowdfunding, say you're doing Kickstarter, everybody who pledges is basically a customer. So now all those customers from all those states, you now have to pay the taxes on your Kickstarter campaign to all those in quote unquote investors. Yep. Well, hold on. They're, They're not, not investors. Not investors. So, if, in a rewards based Kickstarter, okay. you're selling them a game. Okay. So, should the Kickstarter go off and you actually have to sell the game, technically you owe the sales and use tax to those states where they live. Okay, but not do. to where you are. No, to where you are too. Well, no, it's to sell whoever, if you sold to within your state. Oh, okay. So, it's yeah. always where the customer is. Like in the past, tells you that. What? 
Kickstarter will tell you? I don't know. I have not spoken to them about this, to be honest. Because there's no other way for you to find out unless they tell you. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how Kickstarter's handling it at this point. Uh, that is a valid question that I don't know the people there well enough to ask. Um, I've actually thought about trying to see if any knows somebody there I can get in touch with to try to figure out how they're going to handle it. I just came from my Kickstarter. Yeah, and like I said, I know they're here. So I know if any knows them. Um, so I'll try to talk to them and see what they're, if they have plans or if they know. Yeah, but those weren't your official representatives from Kickstarter. Those oh, they weren't? No, they, they weren't Kickstarter employees. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah. They're just people who ran Kickstarter successfully. Oh. Yeah. I know one of them, so I know he's not in the company. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I think it's a legitimate question, and if you're doing a Kickstarter, I think it's something I would email to them and say, ask, hey, what are you doing? You know, I'm aware of the Wayfair decision, what are you guys doing to handle it? Um, it's important to ask those questions. And you have to worry about international tax for when you're uh, the VAT for when you're sending to Europe. Mm -hmm. That's fine. And again, there's thresholds on everything, so it depends on what you're doing. If you're settling a lot, you've got to be worried about it. So uh, if you are right. doing a campaign and you're somewhere around those thresholds, that might affect your decision on how much you're going to set your campaign yeah. at. If you're, yeah. say, say the limit's 30 and you're going, should I do 25, 35, but you're going to keep it to 29 so you don't hit that threshold. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's exactly what you're going to do. Um, uh, it's the website. If people want to take my card, I'll send it to you. You have it in there. That's... So November 6th at 1 o'clock, I'm in the way of it now. Um, so we have, a, it's a free webinar. Feel free to log in and, and listen. Um, pass that around to people. I don't think there's any kind of limit on the number of seats. So uh, everybody can go into it. They, they told me I could promote that as much as I want to. Um, and they'll get much more detailed into the, to the sales tax rules at that point. Like I said, these are people who actually live sales tax for their lives. So I'm really sorry for them. Um, <laughs> Just a quick mention, like you mentioned, there's something called R&D credits. They're out there. You're not going to deal with them much, uh, but they, are, they do exist. So as your activities, you're designing your game with technically what's called research and development. And technically, you can get what's called credits back for them. So you can't get credit of all you had was expenses, like you mentioned earlier. You don't just get money for it. So it doesn't work that way. But there is a provision in there where if you have a couple of employees that you're paying and you're paying payroll taxes, you can actually get a refund on the payroll taxes uh, through the research and development credit. So if you have employees and you're developing games, you actually could get something out of this. It costs a little bit of money to do the surveys, to do it properly. I mean, but there are small accountants who will figure something out for you. Um, don't ask me about that. All right, uh, any other questions? Yeah. Could you um, go over LLC versus S Corp and C Corp. Yeah, sure. I didn't really Absolutely. understand so much what the difference so, is. So, sole proprietorship partnership, right? So that is basically you have one or multiple owners, um, and what should we call it? You have it's unlimited liability, so you're fully liable for everything that happens. Um, each partner in a partnership that's just a general partnership um, is what's called equally and jointly and severally liable. That means that they're not just you jointly liable to your partners, but somebody can go after each individual partner until they get their money, even with your other partners. An LLC is what's called a limited liability company. That is basically a partnership 
but you are registering with the state and you're going through those extra processes because now you're going to have limited liability. So somebody sues, they can sue the LLC, but they're not going to be able to go th pierce through the corporate veil, they call it, to sue you personally. Uh, they'll struggle to do that. The only way they could potentially sue you personally is for negligence. So if you were negligent in your duties as an officer of the, of the LLC, they could still go after you. But proving negligence is very, very hard. They have to prove that you really didn't give a crap at all. So that's an LLC. Now, an LLC, from a tax perspective, is taxed the same as a partnership or a sole proprietorship. It's what's called pass-through. So whatever percentage that you own of the LLC, that income or expense passes through to your, your normal uh, 1044. An S-Corp is a corporation. A um, little bit less regulation as far as setting it up than the LLC. You get the limited liability like you had before. There are limitations, though. You cannot have a foreign uh, owner of an S-Corp. So if you have a foreign investor who is not a U.S. citizen, you can't do an S-Corp. Uh, there's also a limit of 100 people uh, for an S-Corp. So S-Corp has limitations on it in order to do that. It's a very small corporation. Yeah. That's small. That's exactly what it is. Um, is that partners or is that... That's partners and it's a passenger. Or is that... Okay, so th but that's not employees. No, okay. not necessarily. Now, you can have a partner who is also an employee of an S-Corp. That's another distinct difference. So in an S-Corp, you can have somebody who's a partner who also, let's say, I'm the one doing all the work, so I'm going to get paid you know, $500 a month, whatever it is. So you can have somebody who's technically an employee who's also a partner. In an LLC, a partnership, you cannot have an owner who's also an employee. They automatically only get a K-1. Well, actually, in LLCs, they're members. They're not yeah. partners. Well, they call them members. It's the same thing. Essentially, yeah, but you're a member, but you can't get, you cannot have a W-2 income from an LLC where you are an owner or a member, essentially. You can't, you have to get, that has to go through uh, what's called guaranteed payments and attend on your, your, your K-1, essentially. Um, but you can still issue a W-2 to somebody that you hire to do artwork, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But generally, if you do it on a contract basis, it's a 1099 that you get. Miscellaneous right. And that way you don't have to handle payroll taxes or yeah. anything else. This way they're responsible for that under self-employment. Yeah, right. um, C-Corp is the most protection from a liability standpoint. They have to prove gross negligence in order to even attempt to pierce the corporate veil and get to you liability-wise. It's nearly impossible. Uh, you have to have literally just been in the Bahamas for the last six months and didn't know that your company folded up shop. Um, to prove gross negligence, like it's nearly impossible. So C-Corp is a lot of protection for people personally. Uh, the negative is it's a called double taxation. I'm just answering a question. Thanks about it. So double taxation means that not only is the corporation taxed as you earn money, but then once you take it out, you're taxed a second time with the dividend. Um, so it's double taxation. The rates are lower now, it's a little bit better, but that's the negative of a C-Corp. Thank you. And the C Corp, there's no limitations. You could have half the world on it. Doesn't matter. But yeah. Um, quickly, uh, I'm not sure if this is quite right, but if you're selling through Amazon and they're collecting the sales tax, do you <coughs> need to? Do, uh, do you still worry about it, or? No. Because I know you don't actually sell. No. They just hold on to it and then they collect. Yeah. If Amazon's collecting and remitting it, you don't have to deal with it. Okay. So RPG drive through as well. Yeah. 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 You, I mean. 
long as somebody is collecting and remitting it, you don't have to worry about it. So don't set up my own page. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I got, too. <laughs> Let it be someone else's problem. 